On May 1st, 2023, KEI hosted Ambassador Mark Knapper for a discussion on U.S. ROK Vietnam relations. Ambassador and KEI CEO Kathleen Stevens moderated. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Hegyang An, Senior Advisor at KI. Uh, thank you for joining us today for a conversation with Ambassador Mark Knepper, U.S. Ambassador to Vietnam. Our topic today is U.S.-Korea-Vietnam Trilateral Cooperation. Um, last week, we had a very successful state visit by South Korean President Yoon Sang-yeol. Um, during the summit, President Yoon and President Biden, they acknowledged the importance of um, Indo-Pacific voices, and then they agreed to expand the cooperation throughout the Indo-Pacific region. So I think our topic today is very timely, and then we are very extremely lucky to have Ambassador Nepper here in person. Um, Ambassador Nepper has been representing the Vietnam um, since February 2022. And previously, he served as um, Deputy Assistant Secretary of State for Korea and Japan. And he also served as Charge at Affairs, which means Acting Ambassador, um, at the U.S. Embassy Seoul for about uh, 16 months. Um, as a senior foreign service officer, he has many, many great diplomatic skills, but he's known as a genius in language. So he received um, the State Department of the Linguist of the um, Year Award for his influence, very fluent Korean and Japanese. Uh, I can tell about his Vietnamese, but I'm sure he's um, pretty um, fluent too. So, and also, the, as many of you know, the um, Ambassador Kathleen Stevens, the KEI President CEO, and also former U.S. Ambassador to Korea, she's very uh, fluent in um, Korean as well. So maybe you guys can speak in <laughs> Korean for the discussion today. So um, we have lots of issues to cover today. And also, by the way, there will be a Q&A session at the end. So um, for those who are joining vir uh, virtually, please um, post the questions in the chat box. So without um, any further ado, um, please um, join me welcoming Ambassador Nepper and also Ambassador Stevens. Thank you for um, the moderating the conversation and please take it from here. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Hegyong, and hello to everybody. Welcome, and I guess I will say Hwaning on the Da. To uh, Ambassador Napper, who is a great friend of KEI as well, and I want to thank him not only for coming today, I know you just got into Washington over the weekend, uh, but for your great support for KEI over the years, uh, in particular in the years when you were Deputy Assistant Secretary uh, at State just before you went to Vietnam. Um, we, we said our, our we obviously we want to talk about Korea, Vietnam, uh, and we so we pose this as trilateral cooperation. But uh, you really are, I have to say, Mr. Indo-Pacific. And maybe a little later in the conversation, we can get into your career because uh, uh, I know we have many people who listen online as well as here in the audience are very interested in careers, diplomatic careers, what it's like, and and the nexus between language and diplomacy. You are certainly a great uh, uh, model, role model, and and. Uh, uh, for that. Uh, but, you know, I also note, and we're not here to talk about, you know, if we talked about your bio, we, we take up too much time, but you've also worked on China, India. I think you and I first met yep. when you were director for Indian Affairs. So I do want to talk in the Indo-Pacific context as well. But maybe to start, I know as you as you arrived, as, as Hegyang mentioned, obviously we had the state visit by President Yoon Sung-yeol last week. I'm sure you're watching that a bit. Uh, uh, and I think this week, uh, the president of the Philippines is That's here. Right. Uh, and you've yeah. had some visitors in Vietnam as well. So we can start 
start a lot of different places, but maybe since you are arriving here uh, after having completed now about a year as ambassador in Vietnam, maybe to just welcome your sense about, you know, what's it like being in Vietnam and, uh, and what are you back for as well? Okay, well, thanks, Kathy. Thank you, uh, KEI. Thanks, Hey Young, for the great introduction. I'm um, always welcome the chance to come back and, and to visit with you all. I should acknowledge the presence of Ambassador Joseph Yoon, our very good Sunday. Thanks, Joe, for joining as well. Um, oh, I mean, I've been in Vietnam now about a year and, what, two or three months. And it's just been fascinating for me to see the growth uh, in this relationship. Um, of course, you know, having gone from uh, a basis of, of virtually zero in 1995 when we normalized uh, to where we are today is really remarkable. It's a remarkable story, I think, of, of hard work and goodwill on, on both sides of the ocean to take our relationship from where it was, um, having been you know, combatants for so many years, and then, of course, a history uh, from, from 75 to 95 of, of embargo, sanctions, isolation. Um, but the efforts we've made to, to promote reconciliation, to promote friendship and understanding have been remarkable. And really thanks to folks uh, in the United States like the late Senator John McCain, um, of course, Senator John Kerry, um, you know, folks like Senator Hagel, uh, folks like Senator Patrick Leahy. Um, these are all individuals who really did um, stake, uh, stake a lot of their careers on building this relationship. And, and, and they had counterparts, of course, in Vietnam who did the same, uh, who believed in this relationship. And we've seen the fruits of, of their efforts and the efforts of many, many others, again, in Vietnam and in the United States. Um, a relationship now that's, uh, let's see, I think our two-way trade is now about $130 billion, uh, making Vietnam the U.S.'s eighth largest trading partner, hmm. um, which is pretty amazing. Uh, we are, the United States is um, Vietnam's number one export market. Wow. Um, we uh, trade in, in many different things from, from aircraft to machinery to, I mean, you name it, um, they're a huge market for our own agricultural goods. Mm -hmm. Um, this is a relationship in which our, our cooperation in security, defense, law enforcement, people-to-people, um, -people education, I mean, you name it, we're doing it with Vietnam. Mm -hmm. Even we're doing outer space cooperation. Um, <laughs> Vietnam is now the fifth largest source of foreign students in the United States, wow. after countries like India, China, South Korea, mm -hmm. and, and, and Vietnam, of course, uh, is in there as, as number five. And I think it says a lot about the stake that you know, Vietnamese families are willing to put in uh, their children's future in the American education system. And, and, and the, frankly, popularity is not the right word, but if we, we do polling, um, or someone does polling, and the results are 96% favorability of the United States in Vietnam, mm -hmm. which is, again, a remarkable figure. Remarkable. Um, the Peace Corps, mm. I know, which I know is, is near and dear to your heart. We now have Peace Corps volunteers uh, since last December. In Vietnam, so, um, so just five months ago, just five months ago, that's right. They were sworn yeah. wow. in uh, late December. Wow. Uh, nine of them teaching English in the outskirts of Hanoi, but it's a wow. program that will continue to grow. So, I mean, I could go on on touting the the mm -hmm. this relationship, but in in many ways, um, you know, we share strong interests. Whether it's it's you know, uh, South China Sea and the ability, freedom of navigation, freedom of overflight, freedom from coercion. Um, we share interests in terms of the Mekong River and how whether it's Mekong-related law enforcement security issues, whether it's Mekong-related environmental issues. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we share interests in an open um, global trading order, um, which isn't to say we don't have differences. We certainly do um, in areas like human rights and other things, but we handle those in a way that's always respectful, mm -hmm. um, but also frank. So um, I find this relationship just going from strength to strength. As you said, uh, 
Uh, we did have some visitors recently. Uh, Secretary Blinken was mm -hmm. in town, mm -hmm. and um, he. That was two weeks ago, or I guess <laughs> yeah, yeah, hard to say. Anyway. Yeah, two weeks ago, um, and he broke ground on what will be our, our new embassy oh. uh, there in Hanoi, which is. Um, well, you're ahead of us in Seoul on, on that then. <laughs> I guess. Anyway. I, yeah, I, I, I have lost track of where that one is. Left, left that one, right. But, um, but no, it's just it's, yeah, it's a relationship with, with virtually no, uh, no limits, no ceiling. And mm. it's, it's really exciting to be there and honored to be there now. Hmm. serving as ambassador. Hmm. And and you first served in Vietnam in what years you were telling me about? I was there 2004 to 7. So just nine years after normalization. That's right. So we commemorated uh -huh. the 10th anniversary of normalization while uh, while I was uh -huh. there. Uh -huh. um, so yeah, it's, it's, and it's changed so much in the 15 years since I left. Yeah, I was uh, going to say, I mean, I kind of hate it when people ask me questions like this, but what is what would you say is the biggest change? Is it the economic change uh, that's really transformed Vietnam and the relationship? I just, yeah, I mean, the development, of course, it's, it's impossible to miss how much um, mm -hmm. it's grown and changed. Um, I, I think that, you know, the relationship with the U.S. is, is fundamentally changed as well, whereas mm -hmm. 15 years ago, I mean, there, the, you know, it, was, it took time to get things done. There, but now I think things have sped up. I think we've built a, a pretty decent level of, of trust mm -hmm. and, as, and a very decent level of friendship, and I think mm -hmm. a very good understanding of each other and our shared mm -hmm. interests. So that's a big change. Um, and I think Vietnam's role regionally and globally even has has increased. I mean, they're they're a leader within ASEAN. Um, they they played a significant role as as ASEAN chair during a tough year, COVID mm -hmm. year, mm -hmm. 2020. Uh, they were on the UN Security Council 2020 2021. Mm -hmm. Um, they've chaired APEC twice in 2006 and 17. They've got peacekeepers now in, in South Sudan and Central African Republic. Is that right? I didn't know that yeah, and so it's it's really it's a it's a Vietnam that's increasingly present and and um, active and and playing. I mean, providing I think a net um, security positive in the region. So when President Biden talks about allies and partners, Vietnam is kind of in the top tier of partners, if not yet so. a formal ally. Or sure. I shouldn't say yet, because I might you know, Well, there's, there's certain uh, constraints. Constraints, I think, um, and Vietnam itself has imposed constraints. One is that they you know, just will not ally with, with anyone. They, mm -hmm. they practice a policy being friends with everyone, enemies mm -hmm. with none. Um, but no, I think as, as partners go, they're, they're among, as you said, the top, yeah. the top ones in, in the uh, Indo-Pacific. And we but, intend to keep yeah, it that way. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about the Korea-Vietnam relationship. Yes. I mean, you are uniquely well placed to, uh, to to witness that, and also the big changes in it. But if, if the U.S. And, and 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 Vietnam normalized relations in 1995, so 20 years after the right. U.S. withdrawal from Vietnam, it was the year I first arrived in Korea. Actually, <laughs> we'll see. Seen a lot of history. Uh, when when did South Korea normalize? Relations with Vietnam. Do you, do you recall? 90, so this, they just celebrated their thirtieth anniversary. Thirtieth. So Ninety-three. Ninety-three. So a little bit before. Mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And a lot of countries actually are celebrating now their fiftieth anniversary. I mean, Japan just just celebrated right. this year its fiftieth anniversary. I'm sorry. I should no, say Korea was um, ninety-two. They just last year was their their thirtieth anniversary. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so at the same time, they normalized relations with China. Then that's right. That whole uh, uh, sort of. But the the South Korea. Uh, Vietnam relationship is, I mean, you mentioned exports. I mean, that the Vietnam, I was surprised that Vietnam's number one export market is the U.S. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm guessing that a lot of those exports uh, are, are made by, with some input from Korean companies. That's right. That's right. And there's, uh, uh, you know, anecdotes that get tossed around and, and I'm not sure how verifiable they are, but that, um, you know, Samsung occupies a huge chunk of, of Vietnam's GDP, mm -hmm. for example. Mm -hmm. um, but of course, a lot of the inputs into what Samsung produces in Vietnam comes from South Korea. Mm -hmm. And it's assembled, packaged, tested, 
and then shipped to the United States. Mm -hmm. And so we have a very uh, powerful sort of triangular trade relationship among our three countries. And, um, and, and Korean companies are great advocates um, alongside American companies for what we're trying to achieve there in, in Vietnam in terms of clean energy transition, mm -hmm. um, in terms of um, uh, critical minerals, rare earth minerals, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, you've got US, Vietnamese, Korean, and Australian companies working together. So it's, um, it's definitely, uh, I think, in terms of US-Korea collaboration in Vietnam, there's a lot going on, especially in, in terms of business. Mm -hmm. And you see that on the ground there. We do, we do, and uh, we meet regularly with the, our Korean embassy friends there in, in Hanoi. The, uh, the relatively new Korean ambassador is a woman, Oh Young-ju. I don't know oh. if you ever came across She's terrific, uh, very active, works hard uh, to promote Korea's interests. But, but again, so much of what we do in Vietnam is, is parallel to what Korea, South Korea is doing. Um, maritime domain awareness, for example. Um, mm -hmm. Both we and, and the Republic of Korea provide Vietnam with uh, vessels uh, Coast Guard vessels to be able to enhance their own uh, capabilities to patrol, monitor their um, their waters, really? and their maritime I interests. Think that's not, at least I didn't know that. Yeah, and is that, is that in a kind of a trilateral format, or these are kind of both just bilateral? Just in parallel, in parallel, parallel we do it, but, yeah. but it reflects, yeah. I think, um, you know, our shared interest between Washington and Seoul, and mm -hmm. making sure that Hanoi has what it needs to defend, protect, mm -hmm. monitor its interests in the South mm -hmm. China Sea. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Japan will do does similar things, Australia as well. But I think it just shows a, a really strong overlap in, in how Washington and Seoul view the importance of Vietnam and, in, and how our collaborative efforts there uh, do complement each other. Mm -hmm. Another interesting area is related to, um, to the war. I mentioned earlier uh, reconciliation efforts the U.S. has undertaken since, mm -hmm. uh, since the early 90s, since even before normalization. Um, one of them has included uh, accounting for uh, missing U.S. service members. Mm -hmm of course, has been foundational to our relationship in, in eventual normalization. But another is cleaning up unexploded ordnance, mm -hmm. um, cleaning up uh, dioxin, Agent Orange mm -hmm. hotspots, and then um, dealing, assisting people with disabilities, mm -hmm. uh, whether those disabilities came from you know, unexploded ordnance, dioxin, um, or other causes. And so uh, COICA is very active in Vietnam mm -hmm. on um, demining and ordnance uh, cleanup mm -hmm. activities. And so we the State Department, along with COICA, uh, UNDP, uh, the Norwegians. We have mm -hmm. a multilateral, multinational effort underway in central Vietnam, which is where most of the, uh, the heaviest bombing and heaviest sort of fighting took place and where mm -hmm. the, the largest patches of, of ground that still have unexploded ordnance remain. So um, it's an effort that we very much appreciate Korea, the Korean government's uh, work on. And, and Koika or Koika, is is the uh, Korean uh, yes. foreign assistance, uh, a development assistance agency, but it it also is involved in this area of exploit. I'm just curious, is yeah. USAID kind of our agency? This is a bit of a wonky question, but it is, yeah. Sure, sure. and so AID were, is very yeah. involved. In fact, uh -huh. it, Vietnam is one of USAID's largest partner countries um, in Vietnam in this part of the world. Yeah, mm, interesting. That part of the world, I should say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, huh. But in, in, in what, you know, and there, there is a development nexus because a lot of the, the land that is eventually cleared um, becomes farmland mm -hmm. again. And so you've got now coffee, cacao, other crops that are grown on formerly um, unarable land, you know, land mm -hmm. that just couldn't be utilized because of, mm -hmm. because of the unexploded ordinance that remained in the soil. Mm -hmm. And so it allows, um, you know, farmers to, to, to increase their, their crops and it allows just local communities to increase their their income. So mm -hmm. it, and definitely there is a you know, development mm -hmm. angle. Mm -hmm. 
I'm interested in, again, this is, this is looking a little bit more historically, but again, you have the, the kind of background to, to do this. You talked about the sort of decades-long reconciliation process between Vietnam, unified Vietnam, and, and, and the United States. Um, now, what, what about, I mean, Korea and Vietnam, to me, I'm a bit of a history buff, are kind of fascinating because they seem to have a lot of parallels, both in their, if you like, their long history mm. in terms of being proud and as a... Uh, uh, cultures and very distinct cultures and, and, and entities with a national identity um, distinct from China but very influenced and always yeah. always within that orb in some way in terms of managing all that. Uh, and then, of course, a very challenging 20th century, I guess we could say, uh, in both ways. And then, of course, you have South Korea's uh, uh, participation uh, in the war in Vietnam. So you've mentioned some of those efforts now, but that, that's getting more attention actually in South Korea now as well. But do you find that this is a bit of a kind of a just a more general question, which I know maybe, maybe as ambassador, it's a little harder to answer. But but I mean, what what is is there a sense of of commonality or, or tensions, would you say, at a kind of the cultural and the people to people level between, you know, Vietnamese and, and Koreans? South Koreans are there in such a big way in terms of the economy. But I also understand, for example, that, you know, K-pop, yep. K-culture is very, very That's popular. Right. It's popular everywhere, is it not? But I mean, could you say a little bit about that? I'm curious how it kind of feels to you on, uh, as you see it on the ground there, what the potential or if there are tensions there. So I'll go back again to my experience 15 years ago. Yeah. Um, used to turn on some Vietnamese public national broadcasts, and there would often be you know, Korean, then you know, Korean dramas, uh, which mm -hmm. were being aired um, with Vietnamese either dubbing or mm -hmm. subtitles. And I recall at the time speaking with a Korean embassy friend of mine who said, oh yeah, we, we provide um, the shows, we, the Korean government, provide the shows and the subtitles for free. Because mm. it was a way to introduce um, to um, Vietnamese people Korean culture, mm -hmm. but also Korean products. Mm -hmm. So those Hyundai automobiles or, or Samsung washing machines or whatever that people would see on, on the screen um, would eventually find their way into the Vietnamese market. Mm -hmm. And so that was, uh, I think, a very early foray by, by Korea and Korean companies working in hand-in-hand -hand with Korean cultural ministry to, to bring Korean culture soft power to Vietnam. And at that time, I remember, mm. I mean, the Japanese were a much more visible presence mm. um, in terms of factories and, and just expat population. Now it's completely reversed. There's, I want to say, 400,000 Koreans now living. And fewer Japanese. Well, still uh, a lot. Still a lot. Uh -huh. But fewer. Um, and you can't, you can't go anywhere without seeing Korean Large companies, small companies, medium-sized companies that have set up shop there. Mm -hmm. um, and Samsung employs 110,000 people, mm -hmm. which is a remarkable figure. Wow. Um, all direct, I mean, it's on contractors. These are direct Samsung employees. Mm -hmm. And so uh, Korea has done very well. I mean, sort of doubled down, went all in on, on its investments in, um, in Vietnam. So you've got, you know, name brand Vietnamese or Korean companies like Samsung, Lotte, Hillsong. Um, mm -hmm. They're all there in it, in way LG. Day. And so, um, you know, they do, they do quite well. And I think, the, again, I'm hesitant to sort of, I, I can speak about favorability when it comes to the U.S., but I, I think if you were to do polls, I think Korea would still rank very high. Mm -hmm. Not just the economic benefits that come from Korean investment, um, but also I think this, this soft power aspect, as you said, you know, K power, K, you know, K pop, K dramas, K beauty, mm -hmm. all those sorts of things. 
it is kind of a remarkable thing. You know, I'm, I'm recalling, I can't help telling a little bit of a story from, from when I was ambassador in Seoul a decade or, I always have to get that phrase in there somewhere, you know, when, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, about now more than a decade ago. Um, I knew the, uh, the Vietnamese ambassador to Seoul. Uh, and he spoke excellent Korean, much, much better than my Korean, just like you're better. It is so good. But we spoke to each other in Korean because he actually didn't speak English very well. And so we had these, as you often do in a foreign language, these very frank conversations, because sometimes in a foreign language, you have to, you know, when each, each per- is a foreign language for each person, you can be very direct. And I remember, um, but him telling me about his background, and he had, he had learned Korean at Kim Il-sung University in Pyongyang. And he had been an interpreter for Kim, Il- for Kim Il-sung himself, actually, and had amazing stories, which I won't be repeat here, of, um, of those early days. But, but North Korea and Vietnam had a very important relationship for a long time. And I, what I hear you describing, and I think is a, a relationship where the relationship with South Korea has become the predominant relationship. But uh, do you need, how, does, how does Vietnam manage that, if I may ask? And does that impose any... Any uh, any complexities in terms of its uh, of, of the relationships that Vietnam itself is now cultivating with South Korea and with the broader uh, Indo-Pacific community. So, you know, of course, as you, as you said, I mean, Vietnam has had a long-standing relationship with Vietnam, dating back to you know, decades, and um, but you you definitely hear more there about about the relationship with South Korea than you do about mm-hmm. than one does about. Um, I think COVID shut down a lot of the mm. sort of traditional uh, channels of, of contact uh, for at least a few years. I mean, as, as we all know, I mean, North Korea was really shut down during COVID, and, and I think to the point where um, you know new ambassadorial postings weren't being filled in Pyongyang because you know, there was individuals but just couldn't travel there. And so I think the the friendship between and the, the relationship between two governments, uh, between two parties, between the uh, you know, Communist Party of Vietnam and the Korean Workers' Party. I think uh, there's always been a, a, a pretty strong pipeline that's also frozen by, um, so, you know, to be honest, and, and I don't claim to know everything about everything that's going on, um, but don't see a lot of North Koreans around town. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not that I'm hearing everybody's lapels to try to Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, so again, we, we kind of raise this trilateral cooperation. Whoops. It's like technical adjustment. But I want to back up a little bit and, and get your sense about, about how this idea of the Indo-Pacific uh, is playing in Vietnam. Um, and again, I feel like you're a perfect person to ask this because you have served in every part of the Indo-Pacific, if you like, really, from Southeast Asia to Northeast Asia to actually South Asia when you worked on, on India. And um, it's, I mean, I would say it's certainly kind of asymmetric. Obviously, there's, as even when we talk about allies and partners, different roles for different people. But how, what do you think are the parts of, if you like, the Indo-Pacific framework that, that appeals most to Vietnam, and, and where in particular does, if, if at all, does Korea is a really important economic partner, and in many ways, you say, with these other kind of soft ties too, what role can it play within the Indo-Pacific? So yeah, Vietnam, in some ways, is, is a you know microcosm of our approach to the Indo-Pacific, because we, mm. when we talk with Vietnam, we talk all the time about mm. our shared interest in a free and open Indo-Pacific, which we approach through efforts to strengthen their maritime capabilities, strengthen their Coast Guard, We've given them two uh, high-endurance Coast Guard cutters, um, which are big ships. I mean, these aren't like little PT boats. I mean, these are gigantic uh, Coast Guard vessels. And a third one is on the way. Um, We talk about connectivity. 
through organizations like APEC, um, EAS, uh, the ARF, um, ASEAN, of course, and again, Vietnam is central to all of these. Um, promotion of prosperity through efforts like the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework, which mm-hmm. in Vietnam was a, a founding or charter member back in back in May of last mm-hmm. year. Um, promotion of security, again, getting to our shared interests in, in South China Sea that's free from coercion, that mm-hmm. has freedom of overflight, freedom of navigation. Again, the Mekong River, another key element um, that Vietnam looks at uh, in terms of, of transnational issues, whether it's it's trafficking in persons, narcotics trafficking, traf- wildlife trafficking. These are all areas where we work very closely with them and other governments to, to combat. Um, and then resilience, whether it's it's the fight against COVID, which we in Vietnam engaged in very closely. We supplied uh, 40 million vaccines to Vietnam. Really? Um, wow. We effectively vaccinated one-fifth. The U.S. did? Mm-hmm. I don't think people know that. Yeah, it's remarkable. Well, we basically yeah. were uh, helped vaccinate uh, one-fifth of, of the population there, yeah. of 100 million people. Um, but it wasn't just one way. When we needed it most, if you remember back in spring of 2020, um, when things were bad here, Vietnam supplied us with um, hundreds of millions of, of masks and going on PPE, you know, the garments, gowns. Um, so we, you know, we really did help each other in that in that time. Um, climate change resilience, another area we're working very closely with them. John Kerry has been very active mm-hmm. in working on energy transition, clean energy transition, whether it's wind or solar or biomass. And then, of course, supply chain resilience, um, working with, um, you know, American companies who are interested in, um, moving into Vietnam or companies that are in other countries interested in moving into Vietnam. And so these are all areas, again, part of the larger Indo-Pacific strategy, but that fits perfectly, like a perfect overlay with our approach approach to Vietnam. And I think um, the Indo-Pacific strategy was was very, I think, warmly welcomed there, there in Hanoi. Uh, all of our conversations show a, a real depth of understanding and a large interest, heavy interest in, in what we're trying to achieve. Um, a lot of interest in the Quad and AUKUS, um, and so these are all areas we, we work very closely with them to, to help the government understand what we're trying to achieve and that these are efforts, AUKUS, the Quad, to complement ASEAN, not supersede it or, or overshadow it. And as for Korea, I mean, well, it's interesting when we were talking about IPEF, the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework, mm-hmm. last April-ish, um, you know, Korea and Japan were early um, advocates of the IPEF and really were, were partners with us in trying to... Uh, um, work with partner governments in the region, whether it was Indonesia, Vietnam, and others, on the the merits of this. And so I r- recall working closely with my counterparts in the Korean and Japanese embassies on approaches um, to try and uh, secure, eventually successfully, you know, Vietnam's decision. But but I think it was, um, you know, a good decision, and they've been very active, very very enthusiastic participants so far. And so we've been very grateful for their their participation in. Um, but Korea, of course, with its own, and I forgive me, I don't know the, the name of their recent strategy, Indo-Pacific strategy. It is uh, the Indo-Pacific strategy, I think. Yeah, okay. right. Um, but yeah, I think it does complement yeah. very well. I yeah. mean, I'm I'm old enough to remember the previous Korean administration's new Southern policy, right? And right. Um, and which I think very much focused on uh, Vietnam, Indonesia, and the Philippines, yeah. and then I believe mm-hmm. uh, Bangladesh and India. Mm-hmm. Um, but these are all. I mean, there's a there's a thread I think running through both. Yeah. American and Korean, South Korean administrations, whether uh, in our case, Democratic or Republican, in their case, you know, conservative progressive governments that really do recognize the importance of Southeast Asia in general and uh, Vietnam in particular um, to whether it's U.S. national interests or South Korean national interests. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's something that we it's very fertile ground for both Washington and Seoul 
to work on together. And it's certainly something my Korean counterpart, South Korean counterpart, uh, and I worked, worked very closely on together. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, the, the this investment that we've seen move to Vietnam, as you've as you've mentioned, but I mean, not only from South Korea but throughout, is 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 pretty extraordinary. Uh, yeah, in fact, it gets into another area which is very much in the U.S. Korea bilateral relationship now, and that, of course, is um, the move towards uh, implementing and defining economic security, and uh, you know, rearranging supply chains, of which, of course. Uh, uh, Vietnam is very much a part. And I, I actually heard that, and I didn't know this, maybe that uh, there's a Vietnamese electric vehicle producer, of course, Korea's big one, Vinfast, yes. um, that is shipping car, will be shipping cars to the US. So I'd love to hear about that, but I also want to, want to hear, I mean, do, so do they pay attention to things like, like the Inflation Reduction Act and the, the CHIPS Act, and that must all have an impact on, on Vietnam and its, its industrial policy as well, right? And I'm, I'm curious how, how, how that conversation is going. So yes, so um, last year, Vinfast, uh, which is a subsidiary of Vietnam's largest company called Vin Group, uh, mm-hmm. which in some ways um, is, a, how can I say, a, is, a, is a, a good compare, good comparison to, to you know, Chebol in, in South Korea, a large group with a lot of different mm-hmm. um, uh, components, whether hospitality, retail, manufacturing, you name it. Um, but VinFast did announce a $4 billion investment in um, North Carolina uh, oh, to build huh. uh, electric vehicles and electric batteries for those cars. Um, 6,000 plus jobs, which is terrific uh, news for, for that state. And I think it's a, a real uh, vote of confidence in, um, in you know, the American workers, and, but also a real boost, I think, to our own electric future, our own you know, clean energy future um, in the United States. Um, but I also like to look at it, I think if you look at the examples of, of, um, of Japanese investment in the United States or Korean investment in the United States. I mean, what typically followed these major investments were stronger people-to-people ties and stronger political ties. Mm. And I think, uh, at least my hope is, that the the more Vietnamese investment uh, we see in the United States, with that will come just bridges that are built naturally between communities, between educational institutions, um, between, uh, you know, elected representatives. and so I'm, I'm very hopeful that uh, with with that we'll see uh, even greater, even greater and, and stronger bridges. I mean, we already have between the U.S. and Vietnam very strong people-to-people connections through the very active uh, and um, and uh, you know diaspora Vietnamese diaspora in the U.S. two plus million people who contribute every day to to building understanding between our two countries. And so with investment from Vietnam, I think we'll see that that kind of understanding and mutual uh, sort of reliance um, even grow even more. Um, but yes, so to, but to the second part of your question, great deal of interest in the Inflation Reduction Act and its mm-hmm. implications for electric vehicles uh, and batteries. Um, certainly heard a lot about it um, when I was there. I probably shouldn't uh, get into too much more detail on that one. Mm-hmm. But, um, but also, yeah, CHIPS Act for sure, a lot of interest in what does it mean for, for Vietnam's own desire to, to um, move up the value chain mm-hmm. in terms of what it can, it can actually manufacture there. Uh, and, and how does it sort of move... From, from assembly packaging and testing to actually, you know, the manufacturer of some of these highest of the high-tech um, components that are the, you know, the commodities, the new sort of oil of, of the 21st century. Mm-hmm. 
But actually, just to answer, but I, the point you mentioned at the very beginning, why am I here this week? Why am I here? And one of them is, is to participate in an event called Select USA, which is right. uh, the U.S. Department of Commerce's sort of premier event to uh, welcome uh, potential investors right. from overseas to the United States. And so we've got a, um, a, a large delegation of, of Vietnamese companies that are interested in, in, in investing here. And so um, I'm leading that delegation and we'll be participating in this uh, conference in the next few days introducing uh, these investors to you know state governments municipal governments state economic uh, development organizations mm -hmm. and hopefully um, again um, build in Vietnamese investment that will create jobs and I think promote even stronger ties between our two countries mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and I should know this but I don't is uh, Vietnam uh, signed up for the CPTPP yes they are yeah they are uh -huh. another interesting topic uh, <laughs> to discuss um, but yeah, they're uh, very active within uh -huh. CPTPP. And another topic, which is maybe a little sensitive, but obviously one one that, that we uh, that's very much out there. And and you know how do, how does Vietnam manage its relationship with China? Um, it's gotten more challenging for everybody. Uh, and uh, obviously, Vietnam in some ways has been a beneficiary, at least it looks from the outside, of of some of the desire to uh, for international companies. American companies, Korean companies, everywhere to reduce their exposure in China, to look to other places to invest, like Vietnam. Um, is there a downside for that on that for Vietnam? So, I mean, China, like every other every other country in the region, uh, you know, Vietnam uh, looks at China as one of its. I mean, I think actually China is Vietnam's number one trading partner. Mm -hmm. um, South Korea is second, um, and of course, a tremendous reliance in overall volume. Right, we're saying exports. Two-way with, yeah. two with China right, is right. its number one uh, partner. Um, so obviously, great deal of reliance on on that market. Um, and this is why during COVID, for example, it was uh, it was such a um, a shock to to the Vietnamese economy to have the norm, you know, the normal sort of trucks carrying fruit and vegetables and other agricultural goods, other commodities, were stopped at the border. I mean, they couldn't enter China, they couldn't sell their goods, and so that was a real hit to to Vietnam's economy, not being able to export. To China over land that way. Um, of course, the uh, the two the, the relationship between the two parties is um, has been close and longstanding between the Chinese Communist Party and the Communist Party of Vietnam. Um, the Party Secretary of, of Vietnam, um, Mr. Mr. Wen Phu Chang, uh, was the first visitor to Beijing after the Party Congress mm -hmm. last October. Um, and so, yeah, very I mean, very close ties uh, between the two. Um, but obviously, there are also uh, Certain tensions, uh, for example, in the South China Sea, involving um, what we can, what we and Vietnam both consider to be um, excessive, uh, illegal um, Chinese claims in the South China Sea, and concerns about what's going on um, in some of the the Mekong neighbors with uh, certain investments, and so, um, so yeah, it's it's a relationship that's that has certain, um, I think, uh, positive qualities, but also challenges. Mm -hmm. um, which, mm -hmm. as you said, all of us uh, work to manage. Mm -hmm. But with Vietnam, I think we do um, see very close, very eye to eye when it comes to uh, what's happening in the South China Sea. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you've mentioned the South China Sea several times, and that's been an area, I mean, it was into getting, getting into the trilateral cooperation, but South China Sea has been an area where I think South Korea has been a little bit hesitant about, about getting involved and seeing its security challenges, obviously, in the north and just a different uh, kind of set of priorities, if you like. Um, we, we've seen rhetorically from South Korea um, some... Uh, some changes in terms of being more forthright, as the I think the thread is is is, is seemed to sharpen. And you and you mentioned and said I didn't know about that, but South Korea actually doing some, 
I don't know if it's, it's not secret, obviously you're telling us about it, but a fairly quiet cooperation on the Coast Guard front and so on. Do you see this as an area where, obviously the Taiwan, I mean, the South China Sea is very important to uh, uh, trade and, 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 and economic survival, really, for South Korea as well. Uh, would, would Vietnam like to see South Korea be more active in that area? I would have to say yes. I mean, I think um, anything that uh, any sort of cooperation between and among countries like Vietnam, the U.S., South Korea, Australia, Japan, India, um, mm. to promote a, a South China Sea that's free and open and uh, to allow Vietnam to to increase its own capabilities mm-hmm. and uh, to, to defend its interests, natural resources, um, whether it's, 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 you know, fishing areas or um, the resources in its EEZ or its continental shelf. Um, these are these are important uh, capabilities for them to develop. Whether it's uh, through uh, you know they call it maritime domain awareness, which is everything from radar to drones to mm-hmm. vessels, but something that we all uh, together, U.S., South Korea, Japan, we're all working um, together. Uh, if if not explicitly, it's certainly um, in a way that's it's sort of implicit and um, hopefully complements each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you know all this kind of effort is, for sure is uh, is welcome and something we. And here in Washington, definitely want to want to pers- continue to pursue because mm-hmm. um, it's um, it's 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 a net security plus for for us as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we we benefit greatly from Vietnam having the capability to to protect its sovereignty, its territorial integrity, mm-hmm. um, and really defend its its independence. It's a long coast. It is. Um, I, I'm going to tell the audience I'm going to turn to you for some questions, and I know we're going to have some questions online as well. But I wanted to, to ask for your, your, your thoughts on, on one more thing. And I hope if we have a little time at the end, we can talk a little bit about, about how you got into diplomacy and uh, all these interesting assignments you've had. Not to talk about every single one, that, that, that's a lot, but, uh, uh, but you really do have a kind of an extraordinary experience uh, already and more to come. Um, but what I wanted to, to ask you about was uh, something I've heard over the years from uh, Korean counterparts, and that is that uh, uh, they feel like uh, Korea's development experience um, both economically, they don't talk so much on the political side. Obviously, Vietnam is not a path to what we would call democratization, I guess. But, but on the economic side, in terms of economic development, that Korea has seen itself as a model uh, with, with some, some very practical lessons as well as offer uh, Vietnam. Uh, do you, and when you look at Koika and others, do you see some uh, potential there? Other areas where where you know Korea can play a particular role, or maybe should. I mean, for example, the, uh, the Semal program, you know, the the uh, which I saw in Korea way back in the 1970s of uh, of, of attending rural areas. Um, are there are there are there things there that are useful? I mean, you know, we way back in the day, the American experience was the right one for everyone. It's part of the Korean experience that uh, different perspective that uh, so. You look skeptical. I, no, no, no. I'm, I'm actually just trying to. Yeah, yeah. to um, I had a conversation with a, a re- now retired but former senior, a very senior Vietnamese official, um, and we were just discussing um, Vietnam's development experience compared to other countries, and the subject of South Korea came up. And he told me that the leader he really admired uh, was Park Chung-hee, mm-hmm. and which struck me. You know, as uh, given that Park Chung Hee, of course, was the leader who oversaw the deployment of South Korean troops to to Vietnam during the war. Um, But his point was the the 
and I guess this is this is debatable, and, and I'm not an expert, but his view was that Park Chung-hee's government in, you know, successive administrations, the 60s and 70s, did a pretty good job picking winners, mm-hmm. whether it was mm-hmm. steel or shipbuilding or automobiles, mm-hmm. um, eventually consumer electronics, semiconductors, and on and on. Um, and I guess his point, this Vietnamese gentleman's point, was that, you know, how can Vietnam do that, do better? It, it sort of um, engaging all those levers, tools of government, private sector, state-owned enterprises, whatever, to pick winners and 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 help grow Vietnam's overall economy, so I thought that was an interesting, uh, just one lesson, and uh, certainly pitfalls, of course, because um, you know the attempt to, to pick winners doesn't always work. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you know if you focus on the ones that did ship and you know, ship steel cars, I mean, obviously mm-hmm. something went right, mm-hmm. and so that's something Vietnam looks very closely at. Um, and rural development also um, a significant aspect of what Vietnam is undertaking now. Whether it's um, building roads, mm-hmm. I mean thousands and thousands of kilometers of new highways being built um, in the north, uh, especially in, in the highlands, mm-hmm. which previously had been inaccessible uh, mm-hmm. uh, areas in which ethnic minority groups live, mm-hmm. and now they have access to to resources and uh, promoting things like ecotourism, uh, promoting. Uh, sort of, there's now kind of a flourishing of interest in in different ethnic minority groups and their their different customs and traditions, and that's become a, a tourist draw mm. in places like Sapa and, and others in the north northern highlands, which previously it, it you know was an overnight train ride and then a two hour car ride to get to yeah. some of these places. Now it's a four hour day yeah. trip on a on a superhighway. And I would imagine Korean Japanese tourism is I mean those markets are important. Very and and I mean at one point. Um, before COVID, I think Da Nang alone, Da Nang, which is the beach mm-hmm. community in central Vietnam, had 60 flights a day coming in from South Korea. Wow. wow. Um, charter flights, and you know, mostly. But uh, <laughs> And I remember uh, there's a beautiful kind of hill town called Dalat, which is in the central highlands, an old French uh, colonial, um, again, just hill, hill, summer, summer vacation resort. And I was there in August during peak sort of South Korean vacation season when virtually every single person in the hotel in which I was staying. I, I was South Korean. Wow. Yeah. 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 It was just me and the Vietnamese waiters were the only ones who were not <laughs> South Korean that, that particular day. So you had to do some interpreting <laughs> between Vietnamese and Korean. Yeah. But I mean, it's remarkable, just the, uh, just the, the back and forth yeah. between the two, yeah. the two countries. Yeah, that is amazing. And then you talked to, and this goes back to your question about shared, you know, what is it between the two? And I mean, you'll have anthropologists, others, I guess, tell you better than I could about this sort of um, shared kind of Confucian identity mm-hmm. that, that links these Northeast Asian countries, China, Japan, South Korea, mm-hmm. with, with Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And it sort of sets Vietnam apart from its Southeast Asian mm-hmm. neighbors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And maybe also that sense of, I mean, both Vietnam and Korea being substantial con- uh, entities, but nonetheless small right. in the context of a large China. So having that, ha- having yeah. to have that that determination, if you like, or development of identity. Maybe I'm being too much of an anthropologist here too, to to maintain that identity. Maintain An equal that, pride you know, in having pride and, you know. in having defended and 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 strengthened this identity over yeah. thousands. I mean, literally yeah. centuries, but in some cases over a thousand years. Yeah, yeah. I, can, on the, the the building of the infrastructure. I mean, who's funding that? Vietnam didn't didn't take Belt and Road money, did, or did they? No, no, they haven't. So a lot of it is, um, some of it is. Development, you know, so either it's the South Korean development assistance, Australia, Japan um, uh-huh. provides quite a bit. 
Um, but a lot of it's just self-generated. I mean, mm-hmm. from from Vietnamese exports, they keep a very low, d- deliberately keep their their debt to GDP ratio very low, mm-hmm. um, just to maintain their flexibility and sort of independence. Um, mm-hmm. But um, through their through their exports, through hard currency, they generate. They're able to fund a lot of these projects. But you know, ways to go. I mean, whether it's transitioning from coal to renewables, that's a challenge for everybody. Um, I think port uh, port and rail infrastructure is something they're very focused on. Um, building more ports, uh, building a, a high speed rail system, mm-hmm. is is you know a huge project that's on the horizon. Mm-hmm. Um, but these are all efforts that that partners in places like. Japan, South Korea, and others, uh, the United States can can help with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's so much I want to ask you about Vietnam, but I realize we're supposed to talk about Korea too. But I also, uh, but I need to take care of our audience. So let's. Um, uh, did I see a hand here? Yes. Uh, Stanley Kober. When I see that sign, Alliance for the Future, I can't help thinking of an alliance from the past, especially since we're talking about Vietnam, CETA. Hmm doesn't exist anymore. Does that foreshadow the future of this alliance, given the growing tensions with China? What is the potential for the development of this alliance, the danger that history could repeat itself? So do you mean the development of the US ROK alliance or? Trilateral, we're talking about trilateral. Um, no talk at the moment of trying to grow um, either a, do a repeat of CETO or to try and grow the USROK alliance in that way. Um, but as we've, we've talked about, um, certainly there are efforts underway um, in which US and the ROK share a, a goal for a Vietnam that's more capable in terms of its capabilities to defend its maritime interests. Um, so not you know, these aren't alliance activities per se, but it definitely reflects the shared goals, not just of Washington and Seoul, but of Tokyo, Canberra, New Delhi, and others to, uh, to ensure that Vietnam and others in the region, not just, not just Vietnam, but Philippines, Malaysia, have the resources they need to, uh, to defend their interests um, within the, their, their, their waters. If I could just add, too, I, I mean, the 70 years of the alliance is marking the signing of the bilateral mutual defense treaty between the United States and the Republic of Korea in 1953. And that mutual defense treaty, which has lasted for 70 years, and I think is, has broadened and deepened, and that was a subject of a lot of the discussions last week when President Yoon was in town, I mean, clearly has had to adapt and will continue to adapt to um, the challenges and the changes we see. But uh, even in that, that treaty in 1953, um, it said it envisions a time of a kind of a multilateral, uh, I mean, the U.S. has been trying to kind of foster multilateral ties in the region, I mean, since the end of World War II and since the end of the Korean War. Uh, and CETO, as you say, was one of those efforts which, which did not work. But what we do have now is ASEAN, which again is not an alliance, of which the U.S. is not a member, of which Korea is not a member, but which both are involved in. So I think we see over the decades, and I think it will continue, an effort to foster different kinds of multilateral cooperation um, and not necessarily just one group or just bilateral or just multilateral. Um, and I think we're, we're still, you know, I don't want to say at the beginning, but still very much in the midst of, and that will continue to change and develop, I think. But yeah, it is kind of a remarkable thing that within our lifetimes, 
uh, the we are where we are today. I suppose you could say with with in, in with respect to U.S. relations with Vietnam and for that matter South Korea's. Well, I mean, I'll just if, if, you know indulge me with a personal story. My you know father fought in Vietnam, nineteen sixty six, sixty seven, with the Marines, and to have gone from one generation from a combatant, a combat veteran to now the U.S. ambassador to Hanoi, I think says a lot just about how far we've come uh, as two nations. This journey we've taken together, um, it's, pretty, it's pretty cool. Um, in fact, my grandmother, so my father, not my father's side, but my, other, my mother's mother lived in Saigon during the war as well. And my son, of course, lived in Vietnam. So four generations of my family have, have lived in Vietnam. Yeah. And so it's... Uh, it's pretty deep. Yeah, it's pretty you know, I, was, I was also struck when you said that the, the Vietnamese community in the United States is about 2 million people. That's about the same size as the Korean, as the estimated Korean community here. Interesting how the part involved. Ambassador Yoon. Uh-oh. It always makes me nervous when Joe has a question. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's softball, you know. Yeah, yeah. So last time I went to Korea, I went to rural area and it seems like a lot of Korean young men are getting married to Vietnamese women. And it's not just, you know, few, but quite a lot. Do you hear any of that? Mm. In, and what effect is it having mm. on Vietnam? I mean, certainly I think in Korea it's having a good effect. Yeah, and I think, I mean, it's not just, if, as far as I know, um, in the countryside there in, in well, it's not just South Korea. I mean, you see this in the countryside in Japan as well. A lot of, oh, really? uh, I didn't know that. Um, a lot of, uh, not, and not just Vietnamese either. I mean, other mm-hmm. countries, uh, I think from PRC as well, um, other Southeast Asian nations. And I think it's, uh, it's something the Korean embassy in uh, Hanoi follows very closely. Um, how are, uh, and, you know, they work very closely with the Vietnamese um, foreign ministry to ensure that um, Vietnamese women who, who are now living in South Korea uh, you know, make sure they're doing okay. And I think the remittances and other things it generates is, is quite significant. And I think just, again, the, the sort of bridges that are being built um, are also helped to, help to promote greater understanding between, between South Korea and, and Vietnam. But it is, um, it's a, I think it's, I don't have the exact figures, but it's a pretty, pretty large number. Yeah, one thing that really struck me over the years in, in South Korea is that, uh, you know, I mean, South Korea is, you know, Notably, been such ethnically so homogeneous and so proudly so. Uh, but the um, unlike in most most countries, the countryside is more ethnically diverse than the cities. You know, you go into a town. We we bicycle through a lot of these towns, but yeah, you 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 meet mixed families. Uh, it's really yeah. Uh, uh, you're gonna have to ask them, Joe. <laughs> What is actually? I mean, what's the population trend in, in Vietnam? I mean, it, it's not. It's still a growing. Is it doesn't? It's not on the demographic cliff oh like the. Oh uh, no, no, not at all. So I mean, I think Vietnam was estimated to hit 100 million people um, in April. Wow. And what are the figures like? 40 percent of the population is under 25. Wow. 70% of the population is under 40. It's very young. Yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, and you see it, you feel it yeah. um, out on the streets. I mean, just young people on motorbikes, all hours. I mean, it's, it's really, I mean, it's an energizing place to be uh-huh. regardless. But just to see so many young people, so many kids running around mm-hmm. and then to visit like other countries in the region, in Northeast Asia, will remain unnamed. It's a stark, it's a very stark difference um, mm-hmm. in, in just 
the street street life. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Sang. Uh, we have an online ask, a question from YouTube. So do you see a possibility of strengthening U.S. ROK Vietnam cooperation around nuclear energy, specifically SMR development? That's a good question. Um, so Small nuclear reactor right. that we're talking about. Small uh, modular reactor. Yeah, a small modular, modular reactor. reactor. Yeah. So I might get, need to get fact-checked on this, but as far as I know right now, um, uh, th- Nuclear power remains um, unaccessible in Vietnam for legal reasons. Uh-huh. Um, I think after Fukushima, I think there was uh, like oh, many for countries. For Vietnamese legal reasons, mm-hmm. I mean. Right. Uh-huh. Um, not for like sanctions or other uh-huh. reasons, but I believe that post-Fukushima there was a law passed that made it quite difficult. Um, but I think SMRs remain an area of great interest um, to, uh, to, to, to Vietnam and to com- companies, South Korean companies, I know they're looking hard at um, the Vietnamese market. I know of some Vietnam, or Korean energy companies that are very interested in, in working with U.S. Vietnam on SMRs. So for installation in Vietnam right. to address, yeah, I That's mean, right. Vietnam has a huge climate change vulnerability, right? Well, it's, yeah, we say it's we they they say yeah. it's among the the fifth among the top five most vulnerable right. countries in the world. Although Vietnam is not a huge emitter um, in the grand scheme of things, but nonetheless, they they do recognize the need to move from coal uh, to something whether it's wind, energy, potentially SMRs, um, wind, so, I'm sorry, wind, solar, SMRs, you name it, ammonia, hydrogen, all these still untested technologies. But, um, but for now, I think um, nuclear power is, is not an option at the present time. Mm-hmm. Tammy. Thank you. Uh, Ambas- <clears throat> Excuse me, Ambassador Knapper, we're beginning to see American and South Korean companies do joint ventures in areas like batteries. Um, are we seeing? Are you seeing any U.S. ROK, you know, do uh, in third countries like Vietnam? Are they? Are you seeing them joint joint venture activity in terms of specifically batteries or just batteries uh, or anything? I'm just curious about our. I think there's great complementarity among our companies. So, I guess the example. I mean. Not so much JVs, although I could be wrong, and and I'll have to get back to you if I can do some some more research. But I mean, but you do see, as we talked about earlier, for example, um, manufacture of of Galaxy smartphones in Vietnam, which are then exported to the U.S. Samsung executive once told me that seventy percent of the Samsung phones sold in the U.S. are made in Vietnam, yeah. um, which is pretty remarkable. Um, a company like Hillsung makes ATMs in Vietnam, the majority of which are exported to the U.S. to U.S. Uh, banks like Wells Fargo or Citibank or whatever. Mm. So you do see that sort of Korean manufacturing in Vietnam that, yeah. that winds up here in the United States. But JVs? It's coming. You're not seeing it yet. Okay. No, well, thanks. And it would be, as you said, I think there's great complementarity there. Mm-hmm. And we do see it. I mean, a really interesting case, not South Korea, but, um, for example, um, Boeing. Uh, of course, has a very strong and long-standing relationship with Mitsubishi Heavy Industries in Nagoya, uh, Japan, and Mitsubishi Heavy Industries has subcontracts with a number of SMEs, um, Vietnamese, American, and others in uh, Vietnam, making sort of tier three, tier two parts that eventually wind up. I mean, it's an amazing sort of supply chain. It, it makes its way to, to Wichita, Kansas, which then gets back to Nagoya, which then ends up in Everett, Washington for eventual assembly in a 737. 
Um, so you do see this kind of supply chain and, and joint cooperation. Uh, there's an American company in Da Nang um, that makes about three or 4,000 parts for um, 737, which, in case you're wondering, amounts to 0.5% of uh, 737's total parts. I mean, it's like 500,000 components that go into 737, but, but they're, they're being made in Vietnam now. Um, again, as part of this supply chain that Mitsubishi and Boeing are part of. It's pretty, it's pretty fascinating. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, Andy, did you make this maybe the last one unless we have one? Um, Andy Hong, KEI. Thank you again, Ambassador Napper, for joining us. It's such a pleasure to have you here. Um, I just wanted to ask you briefly about how South Korean arms exports have been in the news, of course, mm -hmm. for providing security to Europe. Um, of course, as you mentioned, South Korea has been providing um, things like surface combatants to Vietnam, as you mentioned, with Coast Guard cutters. Um, and now Vietnam is traditionally imported from Russia for a lot of its heavier units, but now it seems like there's a space for South Korea to fill um, not just the market gap, but with increasing Chinese assertiveness, a capability gap as well, especially in the South China Sea. Um, so could you speak a little bit to how, um, if, if there's an interest in Hanoi in diversifying their security? Um, and if so, what role that South Korean arms exporters could do to step in and fill that gap? Thank you. Oh, thanks. It's a good question. And it's um, last December, uh, Vietnam hosted its first ever uh, defense trade show. Uh, and it was um, pretty remarkable. I mean, it was, first of all, extremely well organized, extremely well run over a few days um, in which you had, uh, you know, like any other arms show, I guess, or trade show. I mean, booths. So we had several American companies were there. You had uh, a lot of Australian companies, Indian companies, Russian companies. Um, but uh, I think it did reflect, uh, and it's, it's, it's not a secret, I mean, Vietnam's own desire to diversify, modernize its, its defense equipment. Um, and, you know, of course, uh, the point I made in some interviews at the time was that the U.S., you know, we want U.S. firms to be a part of this effort um, to help Vietnam increase its capabilities while, while diversifying its, its sources. Um, you know, and as, of course, as the American ambassador, I can't really tout South Korean products, but, uh, but I'm sure there's space in there somewhere uh, for others. Uh, Interoperability. To, to, right. <laughs> or, I don't know, like the licensed things, uh, you know, that started off in the U.S. Um, but I definitely think there's, um, you know, there, there will be opportunities for many other countries, defense firms, to be able to, to take part in this effort to diversify, globalize, modernize. Mm -hmm. But, of course, we want, you know, United States contractors to be front and center. <laughs> Um, I have a ton more questions for you, but I know we're coming to the end of the hour, and I did want to leave a moment to, to, to again, highlight, I think, what is the really extraordinary career that uh, you've had and that you continue to uh, uh, lead uh, on so many issues. But, you know, one thing that is very remarkable, and Haegang mentioned it in the um, uh, in our introduction, is that not only have you served in, uh, around the Indo-Pacific, uh, whether working on it from Washington or, or in the field, um, you've also learned the languages, and you've, you've, you've studied, I guess, and, and not only studied, but actually <laughs> managed to figure out how to use what the State Department considers to be super hard languages, Vietnam, Vietnamese, Japanese, Korean. Um, so my question is really, is, is how important do you think learning foreign languages is? It's kind of a 
pop-up for you to a diplomat, especially in the age of AI. You know, I mean, you know, you can go to Google Translate. I haven't even figured out how to use GPT yet and just push a button and bam, it happens. I mean, why should, you know, do you feel like all those years you spent studying those languages have been <laughs> years you could have been yeah, doing yeah, something my, else? My misspent, uh, misspent youth. And what's your advice for young people? <laughs> Stay in school. Don't do drugs. Um, <laughs> but um, I mean, I, I yeah, I'm very proud of, of the time and effort and energy and tears I put into learning, you know, these languages. And I don't think what was it that um, Edward R. Murrow said about public diplomacy? The last the last three feet. The last three feet, like and, that. and that's right about this fight. Yeah, and you you can't get that yeah. without um, without having that that cultural understanding that linguistic understanding that, that comes from actually embracing, absorbing, and being able to speak these languages. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I'm a big proponent of, of foreign language study. Um, I, you know, at one point I know there was an effort, well, I think I should be careful how I put this, but to within the foreign service to, to downgrade the importance of reading capability um, versus speaking. Mm -hmm. And I, frankly, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with that. I think reading is as, as important as speaking because you cannot, I don't think you can be a good language speaker unless you can also read. Mm -hmm. um, and so, I, yeah, I think for young people interested in this kind of career, absolutely foreign languages are, are critical. And there's just nothing more fun than, than being able to really live in a foreign country, as you know, mm -hmm. uh, to be able to have that language and interact yeah. um, without the aid of a, you yeah. know, your, your smartphone. Yeah, uh, yeah, makes, yeah. when makes you don't difference. have that, it's like you've lost a couple of your sentences. I mean, when I'm in countries yeah. where, yeah, it's hard. So, yeah. Well, thank you for that. And thank you for all you do. Thank all you. the best. Yeah, I appreciate being here. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. For more Korea content, keep an eye on our podcast feed.